Welcome to Chip Chat, an interview series that connects you with technology experts around the issues that industry is focused on today. And now your host, Allison Klein. Welcome to Chip Chat. My name is Allison Klein, and today I'm really delighted to have Andy Rudolph, a senior principal engineer from Intel, in the studio with us. Welcome to the program, Andy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. So, Andy, it was so nice to hear your voice this morning just because, you know, we've been working remotely for so long. I haven't heard from you in a while, but this is your first time on Chip Chat, I believe. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and your role at Intel? Oh, sure. So, actually, in the past month or so, I had my 10-year anniversary at Intel. I'm the persistent memory software architect. That's actually been about the past eight years which has, I have to say, been one of the funnest roles I've ever had. It's an interesting new technology, not something that you get to do very often in your career. My background is operating systems. I've had a long, you know, more than 30-year career. So this has been an exciting time for me, to be perfectly honest, and I've really enjoyed it. Now, we've talked about this a few times on Chip Chat, but why don't you just introduce what is persistent memory for the audience from a broader perspective, and then how does Intel play within the persistent memory arena? Persistent memory is non-volatile memory, obviously, but it's fast enough that you can do memory-style access to it, loads and stores. Persistent memory or non-volatile memory is used in many ways and you can make storage out of it where you can access things in blocks. But the exciting part about persistent memory is this byte addressability. You get to access it like memory and yet it still holds its values. You know, it holds its contents across power loss. So in the ecosystem, if you think about just say, take a standard memory DIM, a DRAM DIM, and connect a car battery to it so that it keeps its contents, that would be persistent memory. But it would be kind of an expensive piece of persistent memory, obviously, because it's got a big battery attached to it or something. And that's where Intel really came into uh, doing something interesting here when they invented the Optane Media. Optane Media is much larger than DRAM, it's got the persistence that I just mentioned, but it's also byte addressable. And so it suddenly took this idea of something that you could make in a, very expensive by putting together existing components and converted it into something that you could make cheaper than DRAM, bigger than DRAM, but persistent. So that was a very disruptive technology that we introduced in the past couple of years. You know, one thing that my mind goes to is what applications have benefited from this technology. We introduced it in the market last year. We've been working with the ISV ecosystem on it for a long time. What applications benefit and what do applications need to do to take advantage of the benefits that you've described? We have been operating in the ecosystem for a long time. I've been working on it myself for about eight years. And so at the beginning, we started imagining what we could do with it and going around and talking to software vendors to see what piqued their interest. And the first people that came forward were database vendors, especially database vendors that like to have huge data sets in memory. There's two examples that I like to bring up because they're already announced products, they're public. So, you know, I know about a lot of them that I can't talk about yet because they're unannounced. But the ones that have been very vocal and out there very early are the big databases like SAP HANA and Oracle Exadata. These are great examples because they really show you what you can do if you want to exploit the value of persistent memory. 
Oracle Exadata stores data persistently, of course, in this persistent memory. And they have this great demo that our listeners can look up. It's this wonderful demo where the Exadata clients are sitting there pounding on the persistence. They're looking up data, they're writing data, and the Exadata server is basically sitting there idle with you know CPU utilization near zero because the clients are able to access the persistence directly. They access it over RDMA. And that's really something you couldn't do with traditional storage. So it shows you this way of using persistent memory that introduces a use case that just didn't exist before. This new tier that we've added between memory and storage has opened us up to these new things. The SAP example is kind of different where SAP does this great demo where they take a system down just for normal maintenance to install a security patch or something. And they bring it back up and, you know, the database is so huge, it takes upwards of an hour to load this database back in memory. Then they do the same thing where the database is now sitting in persistent memory. They bring the system down and it's back up and it's serving queries within a couple minutes because the persistent memory gives you that fast restart. So that's two examples of how an application can exploit what persistent memory can do. Now, what you're talking about is being able to access more capacity of data. And I guess one question that I have is, does this result in increased performance? Is it a cost driver? What are the key things that drive customer adoption of persistent memory from a standpoint of the end customer benefit? Well, you know, we're in the computer business, so we like to talk about performance. Every processor that comes out increases the performance by X amount. We like to talk about increased capacity, memory gets bigger, storage gets bigger. But I have to say, although persistent memory does both those things, it's all about saving money. The bottom line is if we can allow a use case to run on fewer servers, then that saves money by needing to purchase fewer servers. Or if we can take a system and say this system requires less DRAM, which is a very big part of the system cost, and we'll put persistent memory in instead, that's a big saving since persistent memory is cheaper than DRAM and bigger than DRAM. Or for storage capacity, if we use persistent memory as a fast tier of storage where you put your hot data, then you can put your cold data on cheaper, slower storage. So yeah, persistence, capacity, all those things. But bottom line, it's really about lowering the total cost of ownership. Now, you mentioned SAP HANA and Oracle Exadata, but I know that we've worked with other ISVs as well, especially some folks who are focused on cloud software architectures. Can you talk to us about the broader engagement and any you know key ISVs that have driven impressive results from their work in optimizing code for persistent memory? Yeah, and actually, not just those who have optimized code. You know, when you look at the broad ecosystem, it's worth mentioning we've worked very hard to target applications that are willing to be modified by their vendors to exploit persistent memory, but also applications where it's not practical to modify them. We have a lot of use cases in both of those categories. For example, a lot of the uh, databases that are out there, the so-called in-memory key value stores like RocksDB or Redis or things like that, they can run unmodified on persistent memory just using it and not caring that it's persistent. They just use it for its capacity. 
And you know, these databases tend to be sharded over many servers. So this is an example where each shard could be much larger. For example, it's really not practical to put together a system, if it's even possible, with six terabytes of DRAM in it in a two-socket server. But you can do that with persistent memory. In addition to your DRAM, you can have six terabytes of persistent memory. That means you could have a six terabyte in-memory key value store. And like I say, that can allow you to have a giant database spread across fewer servers. So now bringing that back to your question about the cloud ecosystem, imagine you're a, a CSP and you want to provide your customers with a key value service like Redis. When they sign up for their Redis database service, you can now implement that on fewer machines using the machines with persistent memory installed. That's an example of where you've seen the value for system memory, but actually no application was modified for that example. Then on the other side of it, there's been plenty of applications that have been modified. We've seen applications from Cloudera, Spark SQL, Aerospike is a database that's been modified for fast restart, similar to the SAP HANA example I gave. There are versions of Redis, for example, that are modified to use the actual persistent tier. So we're actually seeing quite a number of applications on both sides, the type that are just taking advantage of persistent memory without modification. And then over time, I think we're going to see more and more of these applications that have been modified to get even more value out of it. Now, I know that one of the things that we offer is the Persistent Memory Development Kit. Can you tell me about that and how we've engaged the industry with that program? Yeah, this story starts quite a number of years ago, about five or six years ago. We're looking at how other non-volatile memory products worked in the ecosystem. We knew that persistent memory was coming. We knew it was going to be a big deal. And what I found were vendors basically pushing proprietary APIs. So if you're a software vendor, you have to choose. You have to choose which API am I going to use and then lock myself into that vendor's API. And I thought, boy, that's really not a very nice thing to do to a software vendor because they have to pick one API. And if they pick the wrong one, they have to re-architect their application again. And so I got together with a bunch of the companies that really control the ecosystem and we went to SNEA, which is the Storage Networking Industry Association, and we decided on a common programming model. And so from the first day, we had Microsoft there and Red Hat was there, Oracle, HP, VMware, a whole bunch of these ISV and OSVs all came together. And it was really a great collaboration, a great experience, in fact. But the whole point was we all decided on a unified model. We decided that the ecosystem was better if we came up with a single model that everybody used for programming with persistent memory. That model is now available in Windows and Linux and VMware, and it's been shipping for a number of years now. So people are building on top of that. When you want to use persistent memory, having that model is very nice, but it still comes with challenges. If you want to make some data structure consistent in the face of failure, like if your program crashes or if you lose power. People are used to doing that for storage. That's what databases do. They do transactions on storage. But people really haven't been used to doing that for memory. So we built a group of clever engineers together to go research persistent memory programming. And we read all the papers. We looked at what was in existence. But we also had to invent quite a bit. And the result of that is PMDK, the Persistent Memory Development Kit. And it's a suite of libraries with one goal in mind. It's to make persistent memory programming easier. So if you're an ISV and you want to modify your program to use persistent memory, 
our goal is to save you time. Use the PMDK. It's vendor neutral. It's open source. We've actually licensed it in a very liberal way. So you're free to take the library and even steal code from it, rip pieces out of it, put it into your closed source product. We don't care. We're not trying to make money off of PMDK. We're just trying to make persistent memory programming easier. And it's been fairly successful. It's a suite of maybe 13 libraries in it now. It's quite a suite. But I have to say that's a lot of information. It's information overload to just point people at, you know, 13 libraries and say, go to it. And so in the last year, we all got together and worked hard to produce a book to describe the programming model that I just mentioned, to describe the various libraries and walk through a lot of examples with diagrams and so on. And that book is a great resource for people to learn about persistent memory programming. It's free to read. You just go to the website pmem.io and you'll find the book right there. So PMDK and the book kind of go together hand in hand. One final question for you, Andy. When you look at the opportunity with persistent memory moving forward, what are you excited about? You know, we just announced the second generation of persistent memory into the marketplace. What are you excited to see as the industry continues to take advantage of this technology and more customers learn about it and deploy it at scale? I'm actually excited to watch the ecosystem develop the way it has for solid state drives. 20 years ago, we all knew that there were SSDs. We knew they were out there. We knew they were faster, but they weren't commonplace in the server space, in the data centers, because it takes some time for people to learn how to use them and learn how to trust them. But the ecosystem has been through that. They've been through that change. We've seen storage change from millisecond access times on hard drives to microsecond access times on SSDs. And that was exciting to see. It was a fun thing in my career, in in my involvement with storage, that was very exciting to see. Well, that was three orders of magnitude. Now we have persistence that's in nanoseconds. So that's another three orders of magnitude. So I've watched the performance of persistence change by six orders of magnitude in my career. And that's not something you get to do very often. So I find it really exciting. To me, the thing that I look forward to is starting to get more and more common now. Pretty soon, I think we'll look back and say, you know, remember when only some systems had persistent memory? Because now they all mm-hmm. do. You know, I, yeah. I think that's the way we look at SSDs today. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the program today. It's always a pleasure. We'd love to have you back again in the future. I'm always happy to do it. Thank you very much. Visit ChipChat online at intel.com slash chipchat. And for more information on data center technologies, visit intel.com slash big data, intel.com slash cloud, and intel.com slash data center optimization.